we're beginning this season of Lent, this holy season of Lent. And Lent, in the history of the church, originated as a time of preparation for those who are going to be baptized at Easter. Now, in the Catholic Church, most of us are baptized at infants. But in the very first generations of the church, there weren't Catholic parents to baptize their children first. Adults had to encounter Christ and come to faith and choose to be baptized. And many did in the face of great risk. In those early years of the church, really for the first centuries, to be baptized meant risking your reputation, your place in society, and even your life. Well, what impelled those first Christians to take on such a tremendous risk? It's that in baptism, they perceived a response to the deepest human problem, which is sin. In baptism, our sin is washed away, which is symbolized in the washing of water. As the water pours over us and washes our bodies, our souls are cleansed of sin. And anyone who's lived under the shadow of guilt knows this longing for redemption that made those early Christians take such a risk to be baptized. Not only does baptism cleanse us of sin, but it also deals with the deepest consequence of sin, the most terrible consequence of sin, which is our separation from God. So through baptism, we're adopted as sons and daughters of God. And this is also symbolized in the rite of baptism, especially in baptism by immersion. Now, here in the Catholic Church, it's not as common that we're baptized by immersion, I guess because we're afraid of making a mess in church. Or right over here, we have our beautiful baptismal font, but you can see you'd have to be a very tiny person to be immersed in that baptismal font. So it doesn't happen as often in the Catholic Church, but actually the official teaching of the church is that baptism by immersion is more expressive of the reality of baptism. It's not more effective. Don't worry if you were baptized in another way. You got everything you needed. But the church teaches that it's more expressive of the mystery, of the reality of baptism. Because when you go down into the water, it symbolizes going down into the grave with Christ, being united with Christ in his death, and dying to your old man, dying to sin. And when you come back up from the water, it symbolizes coming out from the grave with Christ, being born again to a new and risen life, or even breaking forth from the womb. That's why people speak about being born again. There is a true rebirth that takes place in baptism. We're reborn into a new family. And Christ is our brother, and the church is our mother, and God is our father. When we are baptized, God becomes our father. And he commits with us more than any human father has committed with his human son or daughter. He delights in us, and he fights for us, and he always will. So these are the powerful effects of baptism. It washes away our sin, and it restores us to God. And yet experience tells us that even though baptism overcomes the most terrible consequence of sin, 
it doesn't undo all the consequences of sin. Even after baptism, we're left with memories of our past life, impulses towards excess, and strong attachment towards sin. And this is what the Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches. It says, by baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. Yet certain temporal consequences of sin remain in the baptized, such as weakness of character, as well as the inclination to sin. And we can see that, can't we? You know, imagine a, a, a girl who grows up in an excessively demanding home. And so as a kind of defense mechanism, she begins to tell lies to protect herself from the harsh demands of her parents. And so from the time she's very small, she learns to lie. And as she grows, she starts weaving a web of lies and she's always projecting a false image to people around her, almost unconsciously. And then in college, she encounters God. She comes to have faith in Christ and she chooses to be baptized. That heals the deepest root. It washes away the guilt of her sin and it heals the deepest root of her sin. All of a sudden she knows and believes that she's a daughter of God, that she doesn't have to fabricate anything, that she's known and loved by the only one who matters. And yet, although she has that conviction, that tendency to lie is not just going to go away. The impulse doesn't just go away. She has work to do. She has to retrain her feelings and her behavior until it aligns with her deepest identity, her new identity as a daughter of God. Does that make sense? So that's the situation that we find ourselves in, right? We have a battle to fight. And that's what this season of Lent is about. We're fighting for our inheritance. We're fighting to claim our identity as sons and daughters of God. But we don't go to battle alone. Christ, our captain, has gone before us. And that's what we see in today's gospel when he goes out to the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He goes out to fight and to teach us how to fight and to show us that he's with us in the fight. So let's turn now to the gospel and see what lessons we can learn about how to resist temptation, how to fight for our inheritance from our Lord. And the first lesson is this, that we need to know our weaknesses because Satan is going to strike us where we're weakest. The gospel says that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days with their 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry. That seems like kind of an understatement. Like after one day, I'm sure he was hungry, but 40 days and 40 nights, I go four hours and I'm, my stomach starts grumbling. So after 40 days and 40 nights, and what's Satan's first temptation? Turn these stones into bread. It's like for 40 days he was watching, observing, patiently waiting until he discovered this point of weakness. And when Jesus was at his weakest moment, there he attacked. There he tempted him. Turn these stones into bread. I don't want you to think that I'm pulling out some medieval scare tactics here with tales about a devil with a pitchfork. You know, that, that's a childish image. But the clear constant teaching of Scripture is that there is an enemy who is actively seeking to destroy our souls, 
And if that's the case, which it is, it's inconceivable that we are so careless in defending what's of greatest value to us. You know, if any of you have ever traveled to, travel to a foreign country, you know that you know where your passport is at all times. You buy a special pouch and you hide it under your clothes. Every time you get on the train, you check and make sure it's there. Every time you get out and you're in the hotel, you make sure it's there. You wake up in the morning, you make sure you have it. You never lose sight of your passport. You guard it with your life. Then how can we take so little care to defend our souls? What is there of more value than your soul? At our house, where, where all the missionaries live just up the street here, every time we plant new flowers, some bunnies come and eat our flowers. Well, after this happened the second time, we built a fence. And they got through the fence, no problem. So then we put this mesh dome over our flowers. And so far, they haven't got them. But if they come a third time, we're going to set a, a missionary out there with a BB gun to do night watch. So we realized we have an enemy. We're under attack. We need to defend ourselves. So the first lesson is this. Know your weak points and don't expose yourself. If you're struggling with vanity, take down the full-size mirror that you have in your room. I guess those are actually called vanity mirrors, aren't they? I mean, any, anything that's named after a sin, we should probably get rid of. It actually makes it really easy. Imagine if KFC started calling their chicken buckets gluttony buckets. You know, it would be very clear, okay, I, I probably shouldn't order this one. So the point is this, know your weakness, be strategic, and defend your soul. The second lesson that we can learn from Christ's temptation in the desert is this. Fight back with the word of God. Every time Satan tempts Jesus, he replies with the scriptures. When he tempts him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus says, It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And when he tempts him to throw himself from the parapet of the temple, Jesus replies, Again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God or put him to the test. And when Satan tempts him with all the kingdoms of the world, he cries out, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God you shall worship, and him alone you shall serve. There's a power in the word of God. And if Jesus, who of all people could have resisted Satan on his own authority, has recourse to it, how can we neglect it? So I want to encourage you to identify your three strongest temptations. And memorize three verses of scripture to fight back against them. So on your way out from Mass, you'll find that the, the ushers, they'll hand you a piece of paper. And it has a list of different temptations that we might encounter. And a verse of scripture that you can memorize. So you can memorize three of those, or you can go through the Bible and leave through and, and memorize some other scriptures. But defend yourself. Know your weakness and have recourse to the great defense, the great uh, weapon that we have in the Word of God. The third lesson that we can draw from Jesus' battle in the desert is to remember who we are. Remember who we are. 
Immediately before he goes into the desert, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And it's a moment of great confirmation in his identity. You remember that as he comes out of the water, the heavens are open, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and the voice of God the Father is heard, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus goes into the desert knowing who he is. And that's precisely what Satan attacks. In every temptation, in the first he says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself from the parapet of the temple. And Satan does the same thing to us. When he tempts us, he attacks our identity. Baptism made us sons and daughters of God. But when he tempts us, he tries to call that into question. And it's effective, isn't it? You know, when we experience a strong temptation, we feel dirty. Even if we don't give in to it, it's hard to separate ourselves from it because it's so near to us, acting within our own body and our imagination. And Satan loves that even more than getting you to sin. He wants you to forget who you are. He wants you to believe that you're garbage. But you aren't. Because temptation is not yet sin. And as long as you keep fighting, God is not displeased with you. Not only is he not displeased with you, but he's proud of you. Because you're right where you need to be, you're in the fight. The gospel says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Well, do you think that Jesus was any less pleasing to the Father when he was in the heat of temptation than in that moment when he came up from the waters and he heard the Father's voice? Of course not. And do you think that when you're in the heat of temptation, God the Father is any less proud of you than in the moment of sweetest consolation? On the contrary, he's proud of you for fighting. And when you fall, because we do fall, he's right there to lift you up and restore you with his mercy. So never forget who you are and never give in to discouragement. That's the third lesson. You know, in our own community, we have some people who are preparing to receive baptism this Easter or other sacraments of initiation, and they're preparing for battle. So let's go to battle with them. Christ, our captain, is already in the desert. He's already won the victory. And in him, we can also win the victory.